so thank you. All right, so we're kicking it off right now. This is the official beginning. Gedalia, thank you for putting this all together. We're here today with Avi Abelow, Josh Haston, Aria Bramwitz, I'm Jeremy Gimpel. This is Nadia Matar and Sam Solomon. Today, the show is dedicated towards visionaries, towards Zionism, towards Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, and we want to give just a quick shout out to the newest Moskowitz Prize winner, Nadia Woo! Matar. I've heard now for years they've been trying to give her the prize, give her the prize. She's like, no, I don't want the prize, I don't want the prize, I don't want the prize. But then it's like, wait a minute, we'll be able to actually get the sovereignty movement even more publicity. Fine, I'll take it for the sovereignty movement. Now, this is what happened to me as a child. I made Aliyah in 1991. And I was a kid and it was Zionism and it was good. And then around the early 1990s, I heard of this movement called Women in Green. And I'm like, women in green? It sounded like an ecological movement. And then I started hearing, wow, they're demonstrating over there. They're blocking streets over there. I'm like, who are these people? These are the coolest people I've ever met. And I'm like, I want to be like those people. I want to be a woman in green. <laughs> and then... That's I a different subject of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second half of the show. And so I've known Nadia since I was a teenager. She's been a role model to me. She's been a mentor of mine. And I'm just so happy that finally, if this is like the Nobel Prize of the Jewish people, of the Zionist people, the Moskowitz Prize, it's so deserving. And I think there's been a transformation that happened. That as I remember, like the struggle against Oslo was always fighting against, you know, the destruction of homes and against giving them guns and against giving away the land. And then all of a sudden was like, wait a minute. Let's not fight against anymore. We're fighting for sovereignty. We're gonna start fighting for Israel and not against and defensive, we're going on the offensive. And now the entire country, the coalition talks, the elections, everyone's talking now, ribonut, ribonut, ribonut. Folks, I don't know how the war of ideas work, but there's someone that's pulling the strings. And I think that their names are Nadia and Katzover. Yeah, you know, really. like they actually introduced the concept of ribonut, but then behind Nadia, is another man, and his name is Sam Solomon, who has been pushing for sovereignty. We're in Judea, we call him Shmuel. Shmuel, fair enough, fair enough. But, um, but that's really what today's show is gonna be about. It's about the Zionist vision of the Jewish people not only returning to the land of Israel, but for the first time sort of taking the galut out of us and saying, this is our land, it's normal for us to be a sovereign nation in our ancient homeland. It will be the best for us. It will be the best for the neighbors that live around us. And so, Sam, tell us a little bit, if you had a pitch right now, why sovereignty and why now? So, um, first of all, there's a, it's a real privilege to be here and... Uh, you gotta speak up. Can you hear me? A real yeah. privilege to be here and to uh, share some of the thoughts. I also want to recognize, though he's not on camera, uh, Reverend Anthony Abma, who is a partner of ours involved with Christian Zionists for Sovereignty in Judea and Samaria. And he's sitting on the sidelines and watching, and he is uh, bringing our, our friends, our connections, our colleagues in the Christian community that care specifically about sovereignty in Judea and Samaria. So what's really the story behind sovereignty? It has first to do, look, there's all the reasons, like 15 reasons. It comes from the, from the Tanakh, from the Bible. It comes from security reasons. It come, but it's more fundamental than that. The whole reason why we're here in Israel and return to our land is to establish our foothold back in our ancestral homeland. And that's what its sovereignty is. It's not just sovereignty in Judea and Samaria. It's sovereignty, by the way, in Jerusalem. It's sovereignty in the Negev. There is a general yep. underlying, I would call it almost like Jewish insecurity. That's what you just said. I love taking the galut out of us. 
of where we have to always be careful because they used to say, you know, what will the Goyim say? Oh my God, we'll do something, the Goyim will get it, will get us in trouble. And that's the Galut mentality because we were being slapped in the head. But now it's our country. It's our it's our responsibility to really create the right the right environment for the next generation. That for us is sovereignty in Judea and Samaria. It doesn't need a specific I'll tell you, the second you give one reason, then what happens is they say, well, what about this? What about that? It is part of the ultimate manifest destiny of the Jewish people to live in this country, because I made Aliyah about 10 years ago, be part of this country and to establish our responsibility for this country. Nothing pains me more. I actually live inside what's called the Green Line. I live in Beit Zayed, right outside of Jerusalem. I live in a Moshav. But nothing bothers me more because I just went through getting per housing permits. Okay, I got my housing permits from the local regional council. I mean, that's straightforward. I'm a citizen of the state of Israel. I went and got my permits. Well, that's not the case for someone living, let's say, like Josh, living in, uh, where do you live again, Josh? In, in the Gush, El Azar. Okay, so Josh, he can't do that. He has to go ahead and, and go to a military governor in order to get permission. And guess what a military governor thinks about? He doesn't think about whether or not his permit is correct. He thinks about whether his politics are correct for building. And that is a fundamental problem that we're having. That comes out of the lack of sovereignty. I just want to mention one other thing, um, which is really interesting. Recently, Jerusalem tried to absorb um, Beit Zayed. Beit Zayed is outside. It's in Matei Yehuda, and we're in, and we're in Jerusalem. We're not part of Jerusalem. So the, the head of all the land properties, called the Minhal, try to absorb Beit Zayat into Jerusalem because they want our land. But you know where that really comes from? That comes from a lack of sovereignty. This is not even politics. This is basic. They only look at Jerusalem looking the west towards Tel Aviv, which is the most concentrated, overdeveloped area. All the green spaces, all the areas are part of our ancestral homeland, most, uh, most uh, notably the whole Gush Etzion area, which takes me 30 minutes 30 minutes door to door to drive from my house to come here to Osvaldo. Speaking of green places, this is what I want to bring it on now to Nadia. Nadia, we are now here in Osvagon, which is really a stronghold. It's one of the coolest places in Gush Etzion where trees were getting chopped down, land was slowly being encroached on to come here and build this beautiful uh, park that my family enjoys so much. This was like facts on the ground, but the sovereignty movement was more about changing people's consciousness. Mm -hmm. Where are we holding right now? What's the biggest challenge for us as we're sort of progressing in this direction in Jewish history? Jeremy, first of all, welcome to all of you, to Osvogaon, uh, which this year, this summer, we're going to uh, mention five years since the murder of wow. the three boys. Osvogaon was created the night as a Zionist response to the murder of Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali. And uh, basically this hill is overlooks, um, is in the heart of Gush Etzion. We are basically on the road between Jerusalem. If we could film it, we would be seeing Jerusalem north and south is uh, Hebron and Be'er Sheva. And if we could see through those trees, you would be able to see the coastal plain, you would say Gush Dan. So we're really in the heart of the heartland of Judea. And uh, this is the place we set us as a Zionist response to the murder of the three boys. 
You were talking before, Jeremy, about uh, the shift that Women in Green had from 93 to uh, 2005. Basically, our organization was protesting. A protest movement uh, was the voice, the Zionist voice of the land of Israel. Uh, with protests, with signs, it was founded by my dear mother-in-law, Ruth Matar, of blessed memory, who this year we lost. And uh, she was really at the forefront of, uh, of, of, of not being quiet. She, her first demonstration, we were talking about Yom HaShoah in a few days, so her first demonstration was uh, at the kinder transport when the, they told her that her brother cannot go on the kinder transport uh, because he's uh, 13 years old and she made a demonstration and she said I'm not letting this train move unless you take my brother and that's how she saved her brother anyway wow. so Ruth Matar was an amazing person and when she saw the um, the terrible tragedy of Oslo uh, uh, that's when we founded Women in Green to say that this land belongs to us and for till 2005 till the expulsion from Gush Katif, we were as you remember protest movement uh, demonstrating and then there was a shift the shift happened thanks to this amazing person I had the privilege to meet who Speak I built. Just a little bit the, the, the shift happened thanks to this amazing person I had the privilege to meet in Gush Katif. Uh, her name is Judith Katzover who uh, as we discussed the both of us received the prize and basically we understood that the after the expulsion from uh, the Gaza Strip that Judea and Samaria are next and if we haven't we did not succeed in preventing the uh, expulsion from Gush Katif that doesn't mean that means we didn't work hard enough we have to work harder for Judea and Samaria we shouldn't give up and uh, we started seeing how uh, Arabs in 2005 started in Area C as our viewers I assume know uh, Judea and Samaria is divided in A, B and C a and B is under the so-called Palestinian Authority, 40% of Judea and Samaria. Area C is supposed to be under Israeli control. And in Area C, we started seeing how the PA started encroaching and taking over illegally, even according to the Oslo agreements, land. And we had many local battles, safeguarding, redeeming, preventing arms from taking over. And at one point, you did said, this is crazy. We, that's not how we're going to save you did, uh, we're gonna save Judea and Samaria. And uh, uh, we have to finally do something more it's enough with we cannot only build communities we did a great job half a million Jews in, in Judea and Samaria and we're great at saying no no to a Palestinian state no to divide uh, no to give them weapons no to let to free murderers what is our yes what is national what is our vision what do we want Judith Kastover is one of those pillars and heroes who together with Rabbi Levinger and Rabbi Hanan Porat and her husband Tzvi Katzover and Benny Katzover and this whole group of amazing people who after the Six Day War understood that you have to do something if you want to make history you have to pick up and do something and they went to Judea and Samaria and thanks to this incredible group of people we have now half a million uh, uh, Jews here and she said we have to have a campaign. We have to promote a plan. What is the plan? The left promotes a two-state solution. Nobody is even challenging them what it means. It sounds so romantic, which is, of course, we, we know it's like suicide. But she says, what does the right uh, uh, say? Not enough to say no. We have to promote sovereignty, she said. We were not the first one to talk about it. with amazing people writing about it, whether it's uh, uh, Uriel Litsur of Blessed Memory, and may she have a long life, Caroline Gleek, and uh, uh, Mike Weiss, and, and, and Martin Sherman, all were writing about it. But Judith says, if you want something to become a flag, something that everybody speaks about, it has to be a campaign just about that. Let's raise the sovereignty flag. That was in 2011. And since then, we've done a lot, and you are, have all been our partners, you all, and of course, Sam. Uh, um, uh, and, and this is an opportunity to say thank you to all the other people who are our partners. 
lectures and conferences and a journal which we uh, distribute in 200,000 copies, etc., etc., uh, uh, and a sovereignty website. And, and, and basically, from, from at the beginning, being a little bit on the fringe, saying, why do you need this? Uh, even on the right, we're talking about the national, we decided to first write this, to work in the national camp. It has become thanks to the partnership of all, and mainly also thank you to the uh, visionaries. You talk about visionaries, you talk about the Muscovis Prize. Judith Katzover and I are humbled and uh, are, see this as a privilege to have received the Muscovis Prize. You took away what I was preparing to say, you spoke about the Nobel Prize. The Moscovist Prize is more important to us than the Nobel Prize. The Moscovist Prize is the real, it talks about the essence of what we are here in Eretz Israel. It's Eretz Israel, it's the land of Israel, it's the Torah of Israel, it's the people of Israel, and it is in fact what the Moscovist family represents. When you think about it, Dr. Irving of blessed memory and Cherna, may she have a long and healthy life, who years ago decided that we have to bring Jews to East Jerusalem. Think about it. It's like it's like talking about bringing a, a man to the moon, and he believed in it, and he was a prophet, and uh, together with his wife, and they did it, and they succeeded, and they and they and, and they turned history around. They they made history, and and, and that the prize that they're doing it, it's such a an honor to be part of that because it is basically a prize that says Zionism is today's challenge. The, the challenge of today is to be a Zionist, to fight for Eretz Israel, to, to, and how they promote the youth. They give prizes to the youth because they want to, 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 to uh, 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 tell the youth there is, there is what, still what to do. So the Moscovist Prize is more important than the Nobel Peace Prize, not the Nobel Prize or the Peace Prize for sure, than any Nobel Prize. The Moscovist Prize is an incredible uh, uh, honor but it also says there's still a lot to do. A lot to do. And we want to, you, we want to first of all, thank the entire committee. We also want to thank uh, 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 Ruthie Lieberman, who is very uh, active. And we have to say that uh, uh, Cherna also has been promoting sovereignty from building and sovereignty. That's what the Moscovich family represents. And their prize basically gives us the oomph, the, the, the push to continue. Uh, uh, it's an incredible honor. Um, we would like to dedicate this prize to the youth, the sovereignty youth. We would like to use it to make a huge sovereignty conference again. I don't know if you know, but last year uh, we had a huge sovereignty conference. Kids who came to us and said, we are sick and tired of being called every time that their house is being destroyed. And then you call us to lie on the floor and try to prevent the destruction of the house. We started thinking and we finally understood that had there been sovereignty, those houses in the Tiva Avot, etc., wouldn't have been yes. destroyed. Can we join your movement? It was like a blessing from God, as Judith Katzover said. You know, when we had our our, our incredible uh, um, uh, conferences, so we had 1,200 people to work with Judith Katzover is to be in the middle of a conference, working hard to make sure everything's okay, and she's already looking forward, saying, "Where's the youth? We have to work on the youth," and that's what we work on. So the same way, Dr. Irving of Blessed Memory and Cherna, may she have a long life, uh, are visionaries and push us all and give us the strength to continue. Judith Katzover is like that. I have the privilege to be a student, a right-hand woman, and uh, all of us here together are part of this prize. But getting a prize means, yalla, la avoda. We have a lot of work to do. And uh, that's what we're going to do. Can, can, I, can, I, can I jump in? Absolutely. I just want to say one oh. sentence. Yeah, one people ask us, because very often people say, you talk about sovereignty among yourself. What does it mean? And Sam explained it, but I want to say one more sentence to explain it. 
The day we won the war, Israel didn't do what they should have done. The government of Israel didn't know what to do with, with, with this victory. And, 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 and Rabbi Levinger knew what to do, we should resettle, etc. But what should have been done that day of the victory is to apply Israeli law. It's not annexing. It's to apply Israeli law over those areas and basically make them part of Israel as Ranana, Beersheba. And why didn't they? Why didn't they? It's a good question. Listen, there was another population here. They didn't have any plans. They were so taken aback by this That's incredible... Really How confused no, 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 could they have been? They gave the keys no. to the no, Temple Mount said, away. No, the decision-making process in that time no. was clearly not very well thought out. Well, they did not have... That's one of the things they're working on among the many aspects of, oh, of, yeah, of the it is, is the Tama. There's no master... There was no master plan for a day after for Judea and Samaria. It did not exist. In fact, it's even worse. It doesn't even exist today. Okay, so part of what Women in Green have been doing with, with the help of a number of, of really amazing philanthropists, including Myron Zimmerman, is yes. to basically create a Tama 100 as a master plan, including Judea and Samaria. Believe it or not, there isn't a master plan. It's as almost if you fall off you fall off the side of the road when you when you pass the when you pass the line. Yes. Here's, so, here's, here's what I want to say. I want to cut to Avi yeah. Abelow in just yes. in one moment. But I just want to understand. Like I, you know, I've been t following Twitter, following the news, and I saw the New York Times put out an article with Bibi Netanyahu as a dog and Donald right. Trump is a blind man with a keepa following him, yes. and that's from the radical left. And then from the radical right in America, there was a shooting in San Diego, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we got Muslims in Michigan and Elon Omar. I'm looking at the Jews outside of Israel. I'm like, man, there's just not a bright future there. And I'm hearing about the future plans of the master plan of Judea and Samaria, sovereignty in the land of Israel, the Moskowitz Prize for Zionism, and the vision and the hope and the future for the Jewish people is so obviously here in this land. And this is just my little plug that it's time to make Aliyah. It's time to move here. Uh, the people that are watching this and be like, wow, it's so exciting in Israel. Yeah, man, it's so exciting in Israel. And you should come and be a part of it. End of my break. Avi Abelo, yes. All right. All right, so I want to touch upon two. One I wanted to touch upon, continue what um, uh, Nadia was saying and you touched upon, but I want to answer your question first because you asked the question, why didn't, why, didn't the land of it, why didn't the state of Israel apply sovereignty, apply Israeli law in 1967? And that goes to the fundamental issue of why we have a conflict here and what we're dealing with in Israel. You are talking about a leadership and God works in strange ways and we have to have say thank you for all of the Jewish leaders that have done everything, right, left, center, even, even the socialists who helped establish Israel, even if it was wrong in so many ways, but they helped establish the state and do so many things. Everyone has to be thanked. But ultimately there, there is a conflict that came to a fore in 1967. Judea and Samaria was liberated. The biblical heartland of the Jewish people, we have no right to Tel Aviv if we don't have a right to Hebron. But the leadership of the state of Israel said, I don't want anything to do with Judea and Samaria. Because to them, the identity of Israel is we want to be Israeli, we don't want to be Jewish. And they don't want the religious weight upon them of the Temple Mount, of Hebron, of Judea and Samaria, of the true Bible Belt. They're like, no, 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 let's keep it for a peace deal so we can live as any other nation in the world. And God works in strange ways because the Arabs say, no, not working. No Arabs are ready to take Judea and Samaria from us. And the Arabs are giving us trouble, which means ultimately the Jewish people are coming to realize, even if they don't want to, and even the secular leadership, and even the progressive leadership, everyone who's pushing their Jewish identity away, what's being forced upon them is, 
We are only here because of our Jewish identity. The right of the Jewish people to be in their land is only because of our Jewish identity. And it's tied into the Temple Mount. And it's tied into Hebron. And it's tied into the biblical heartland of the Jewish people. And this is a conflict we are dealing with within our own people. And then to jump into what I was originally going to say, when Nadia is saying that even with getting the prize, it's only the beginning of the work. I'm tying it into what you said. So many people say, you know what? I don't want to move to Israel. It's not good in this way. It's not perfect. I'm happy here. There's so much to do. There are problems. There's still socialist aspects to the community. And to find work, it's so hard. And there are these issues. People don't understand that making Aliyah, moving to Israel, is not the end result of a journey. That's the first step of our journey. Every day you make Aliyah. We're supposed to start the work here. Here! And it's only once we come here, then we start to work. Once we get Bezrat Hashem, with God's help, we're going to have sovereignty. We're going to have sovereignty. Whether it's tomorrow, in a year, five years, ten years, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, just a matter of when. When it happens, does that mean our work is done? No, there's still so much to do for us to strengthen the Jewish aspect of the state of Israel, not just to be the right place for us, but to be the true shining light for all of humanity. So you're making Aliyah, folks, not because it's the perfect place for you to live. You're making Aliyah because your purpose as a Jew, born as a Jew, is to live here and help make the world a better place from yeah. If we talk about Ali, I just want to cut right now to Aria Bramwitz. So I'm going to apologize. I'm going to go because Baruch Hashem, we're working on Jewish demography and we have we had another grant today. Mazel and, uh, I have to help out there. Nadia, thank you for coming today. Thank you for hosting. Thank you. Thank you. And Am Yisrael Chai, come and when you come. And uh, uh, we'll continue together. Bezrat Hashem. Amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, I want you to stay here because I want to throw a question out right now. You know, uh, one thing that Jeremy and I always share is that the reason Jews are called Jews is not because we're descended from Judah or for any other reason, but because we are from Judea. This is our indigenous habitat. There's nothing more natural. And Avi, Avi, you were uh, alluding to the fact that there's a, a certain crisis of identity happening. And I think going back to the Six Day War, that was, I agree with you, the root. But not only between secular, European, just another country, but also a crisis of identity as far as who are we as uh, the Jewish people? Are we a democracy? Or are we a Jewish state? And a big aversion that they had towards uh, applying Jewish sovereignty as well, they would need to give all of these Arabs uh, citizenship. So if it's a democracy, today, no, back, back in 67. There are no but, Arabs here then. Right, well, but, but here's the question. Right here's the question on a practical level, right? We are a democracy here in Israel, and that is one of the values that is in conflict with are we a Jewish state or are we a democracy? And those things are, there is a foundational conflict there. What is the resolution to that? We're talking about sovereignty. How is that issue resolved? If we give all of these Arabs citizenship, what would happen then? Shmuel, Avi, Josh? So, one second. So, so you're asking if we, what would happen under sovereignty? So there's only one issue of why sovereignty is not, why it's not a total consensus issue in Israel. And, and I, I spent last year conducting research uh, of the center left, center to left, and center to right, what they call the soft left and soft right, about why we can't seem to shift the numbers from 45% to 70%. Because you need consensus to change a political environment. And so I did that for women in green. And what I discovered from that is, is that actually 
they just don't want to incorporate any more Arabs as citizens Speak of the country. They don't want to incorporate more Arabs as citizens of the country. We have we have about a 20% uh, of the country, 17% is Arab today, Arab Muslim. That for them was enough, they don't want to bring in more. And so the real question really is, what happens to the Arabs in Judea and Samaria? That is the only question. That is the only reason why it's not a consensus issue. There's no other thing. I think all the international stuff, the international pressure, that's all hogwash. That's only said because you, you, you read about in the Western papers. So what, what to do? And for that, you know, I've been looking at the historical, the historical approach. And what did, what did the government do before Oslo? Because Oslo really, 67, was uh, to me, was not the moment. What really changed to, to, to us, I think, was Oslo, not 67. Because in 67, labor, labor Zionists were actually, in many ways, the aggressors who moved Jews into Judea and Samaria. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't the right. right. It was actually done under the Rabin government, for example. Right. Shimon Peres was established by yeah, the labor. Yeah, of course, of course. What happened is Oslo created that we could be just like any other European country. We're going to negotiate this deal. We'll split the baby. They didn't understand at all what's going on in terms of the culture. So what was in the Arab culture? What was happening before then? Very simply, we worked with Hamulot. That's how it worked. So the Hamulot, Hamulot are tribes, clans. Tribes, clans. clans. They're extended family units. Almost every city here in Judea and Samaria is run by a primary Hamula. The in Hebron is Jabari. The Jabari. And these and these Hamulas basically, I'm not saying they love us, but the reality is they understand that when Oslo was created, they brought these these what they call these uh, sea Arabs, okay, from the PLO back here. By the way, all the Arabs of Samaria, what type of Arabs in general? They're mountain Arabs. They're shepherd mountain Arabs. Okay, there is a very big difference between them, and if you don't, if one doesn't understand, then one doesn't understand what the issue really was. Oh, can we just call them Palestinians? You know? Yeah. Well, they don't want to call themselves Palestinians. They know it, and the, and if, so among the Hamulas, among the Hamulas, there is a strong push now to start to have conversations about about. Um, having autonomy for them, not being able to vote in the election because they understand that that will not happen, yet at the same time being under Israeli sovereignty. Yeah. They don't care about until, voting. Until the 1980s, exactly. all of the Arabs in Judea and Samaria had national rights, national citizenship in Jordan. Oh, absolutely. Jordan revoked which their is, citizenship. Which was against the law. So, hello, they can have national rights expressed in Jordan and individual rights expressed yeah. in the land of Israel. So, and then, voila, I vote in the United um, States because I'm an American citizen. I happen to live in the land of right. Israel. They can live in the land of Israel. And if they want to express their full rights to also vote, they can vote in Jordan. Right. So what's going to happen now? Now we have a new government. A government was just uh, elected. A coalition is being built right now. Right. And at the same time, you you have the Trump deal of the century. Right. So the question I have for you, Sam Shmuel, today is practically on the ground, what do you see happening in the next three months, six months, year or so under the right. new the new Netanyahu administration with the looming deal of the century over our heads in terms of where we're gonna go from here practically uh, in terms of the sovereignty movement. God, what do you like what a, do you think? It sounds like a Johnny Carson Karnak question. You know, the, then he puts the envelope to his head and he uh, says the answer, then the no, question. I don't have the I'll answer. Take so I'll take it after you. I'll take it after you. If I were a betting man, yeah. basically the consensus right now in Israel is is what they call the is to is to create for the hit yashvut for all areas where there are, where there's any form. By the way, the word settlement is a, is a negative word. We call it settlement because it's it's the but settlement means just people who live. Okay. I just want to Residence. interject. The word in Hebrew is it's, actually a beautiful word. It's a beautiful yeah, word. Right. Meet Nachlim. And why meet Nachlim? Meet Nachlim, the root word is from Nachala. Nachlim. And inheritance is a Yerusha. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That you can give up. A nachala is a heritage. It's right. part of who you are. It's your identity. You can't give up your heritage. Right. That's why it's a perfect word right. because these are people that are living their heritage. Correct. Doesn't translate so, well. So, so it doesn't translate well. So basically, we now have a half a million Israelis, a half a million Israeli citizens living in what is called, in essence, Area C. And Area C encompasses 60% of the territory. Up to about 10 years ago, there were no more than 30 to 40,000 Arabs living in Area C. There's now over 100,000. That has been the direct consequence of the of European countries moving, moving Arabs. By the way, they, many of them have two homes, one home in Ramallah, and then they sit in a Bedouin, quote unquote, they're not Bedouins, they sit in a tent over here. So there's a lot of manipulation because the, the Europeans are blaming Israel for not having a peace agreement. And because of that, they feel they have to start changing facts on the ground in Area C. So the, the I predict somewhere between all the territories that currently we have, we have Jewish, Jewish communities, that's the word we use, villages and communities. And second is actually up to all of Area C. I just want to point that's out what I think this is going to incredible happen. hypocrisy that Europe is constantly calling Israel a colonizing force in the West Bank as they are trying to push and pull their oh, their own agenda in a foreign country well, in the land of Israel. What's such it's a like fake, so unbelievably infuriating. What, what is so infuriating actually is the use of words like international law as if people even understand what it's about. And first, I, I spent a lot of my time reading. I come from a legal background. It blows me away. The whole, first of all, Jordan illegally annexed. By the way, that's what's fascinating because that's why they were able to cancel the citizenship, which illegally. should have been right, which should have been <laughs> illegal according to international law. You realize what they did? They violated the civil rights of their own citizens by reneging on their citizenship. Except one problem: only two countries in the world. You know who they were? The two Mara, countries in the world that Mara. recognized How, uh, Pakistan, Pakistan and, and Great England, Britain. Yeah, Great Britain. We're the only two countries to recognize the illegal, illegal annexation. And in fact. Because of the change due to the war, World War One, and the and the mandate for Palestine given to um, given to the British under the rules of of the League of Nations and then the UN, it should have been absolutely all under Israel's sovereignty. That's the legal definition. There is nothing else. There's no occupation. We can have disputes, but there's absolutely no occupation. And you can read from Eugene Karjanovich and Avi Bell, these people, they write about it extensively. But that's, so we, legally, we're completely allowed. Now, we've gotten really insecure. And I'd love to, who, who was it that said you have to come on Aliyah? Was that you? That was me. Yeah. yeah, we've yeah. gotten really, I gotta tell you, that is the Galut mentality. And no one should be offended. If you're in Galut, just spend all your time supporting Israel-oriented activities and all will be, all will be forgiven. Don't worry. Okay? Bobby <laughs> said, you have one uh, final remarks? We gotta wind it up here. Why, okay, why yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I want, I, I want to I'm touch upon. No, no, no. no, no. I, wanna, I wanna answer uh, Josh's question. I call myself a realistic optimist, or an optimistic realist, however you want it, all right? Just like I said earlier, it's only a matter of time we're gonna have sovereignty. All right, so to answer Josh's question and to your question, what's gonna happen with the Trump deal? What's gonna happen three months, six months, nine months, a year? And what's gonna happen with the Arabs in Judea and Samaria? I think it's very simple. First of all, it does make a difference because reality is dictating. What do I call that reality? Reality is people have misdiagnosed our problem here. They have misdiagnosed the conflict. So long as they think it's a problem about a, of a division of land, no solution is gonna work because it's not about dividing land. It's not about two people, two peoples fighting over the same land. 
And we all know this. The conflict is there is one people that this land belongs to, and there is another agenda to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. That's the conflict. And so long that there is this entity and this agenda item, I call Palestine the most anti-Semitic term used today because the whole purpose the, that the term Palestine was created in modern times was in order from the river to the sea to destroy the Jewish state. What is, what is more anti-Semitic than having all the Jews thrown into the sea in the only one Jewish state that exists in the world? So the term Palestine, the agenda, the cause of Palestine is anti-Semitism par excellence. And so long as it exists as an, an, a viable option, the conflict is going to continue. And so what's going to happen with the Arabs? Because we're going to be applying sovereignty. What's going to happen with the Arabs? So I love the way Betzalel Smutrich actually puts it. He goes, we have it. We have the solution already. It's in the Bible. You go according to Joshua. The rabbis teach us when Joshua came into the land of Israel, God told him, all right, step number one, you tell the, all the people there, we come to live in peace. All right, Israel's done that already, right? We're basically, we've told everyone, we've come to live in peace. Therefore, anyone who wants to live in peace with us can be allowed to live in peace. We have Israeli Arabs, they're, they're full citizens. People in Judea and Samaria, if they choose to live in peace with us, they might be a path to citizenship, right? And I'm not worried about the demographics, because what else is going to happen? They're going to be those who say, we don't want to live in peace with you. And there are plenty of them who do not want to live in peace with us. So therefore, they have two choices. And this is what Joshua gave. You have two choices. You don't want to live in peace with us? We either fight you, and winner takes all, basically. And hopefully Israel will finally come to the day where we fight and destroy those powers that want to destroy us. And then anyone who won, they either lost the war, they don't want to live with us, then they can go somewhere else. Well, that and fight they can is already happening. It's right. happening, but we haven't. Exactly but we yeah. have yet to. We have yet to internalize yes. that this fight is happening. That we have to bring an end to the fight. That we, that, e that we have to win. It has to be victorious. And only after the victory, then those dead guys who don't want to live in peace with us are going to be dead, and the rest are going to run away. So I'm not worried about the demographics because there's only going to be a minority of them left who sincerely want to live in peace with us and those are going to be the most blessed Arab Muslims They're probably as they were. That's probably because they know, and again, going to Sam's topic before, they're not any interested in voting. Everyone goes after Israel. Oh, no democracy. You're not going to give them voting rights. They have voting rights under the Palestinian Authority. They haven't voted in 11 years. Do they care about it? Brilliant. Does the world care that about it? A, they don't care that. about really voting. The Arab world is not about voting. The Arab world is a tribal clan culture. Go listen to Professor Mordechai Kedar. They're not a democratic Western. And, and, and the problem for us Westerners we come from the West and the problem with our brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles is that we are stuck in the West Western mindset Oh, the Middle East must be like us Split the baby. Uh, dem Democracy is democracy. Everyone right. wants votes. Everyone wants wants right. rights, etc, etc. No, the Middle East is a power culture It's a power of tribes of clans Strong of honor voice. killings Strong We voice. do a disservice to the Muslim world right. by screaming against honor killings without understanding the context and the cultural context that exists within it. We disagree with it, but we are insulting Islam by basically saying we don't understand your culture and your culture is wrong. 
We might disagree with it, but that's their culture. And their culture is based on honor. It's not based on votes. It's not based on individual rights. It's based on I can kill you if you're my wife or my sister or my daughter because you just dishonored our family. That's the reality of it. So peace will come way, and it's going to be pushed upon culture us. culture does not do comp compromise because shame and honor and you should read exactly. from Harold Road on Gatestone. Okay. Because he writes about it extensively. It is a shame-honor culture that does not split the baby. We're a guilt-oriented culture. Christian guilt. You know, you have your mother here, Gedalia, so you got Jewish mother guilt. Okay? It's the and difference between guilt and shame. Shame, exactly. So those are the shame two things, you right. never wash away. And that's shame is external, guilt is internal. I'll tell you, we live right. 10 minutes from here on the southeastern tip of Judea. And there's, to the, to, to the southwest of us, there's a village called Seir. And then to the southeast, there's a village called Rushida. Uh, Bedouins and Arabs, they've had years-long wars between the two of them. But they were sieging each other. For some reason, people look at Israel like, oh, it's a conflict between the Jews and, and the, the Palestinians. Palestinians. And the Arabs. Right. I mean, they're, they're at war with each other. You know, what happens when we, as Jews look at Hamas in, in Gaza, hiding in, in kindergarten, shooting missiles. We say, what a bunch of cowards hiding behind babies, yeah. shooting missiles. And they look at us, hiding what our children behind us. And they say, what a bunch of cowards that aren't willing to sacrifice everything. Ugh, for it's their just land. such a difference. Ugh. It's such a difference. Love we that. have to stop projecting our own values. All right. So uh, because I had the honor this time of hosting the Judean Roundtable, I well just done, want to share a short Dvar Torah. Oh. And I want to talk about what Avi and what you just mentioned about the world always coming against us saying, you're an apartheid state, you're not a democracy, why are we holding up to the highest level that exists in the world? And so there was uh, one attribute given to Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah, Moses. They said they gave him, he wasn't the smartest man, he wasn't the coolest man. What was he? He was the most humble of all men. And then Moshe's um, enemy within the desert came up to Moshe and said, You, why are you rising yourself up amongst the nation of Israel? Korach says, you're so arrogant. Look at you. You think you're so special. And from that, you can learn something marvelous, that the enemies of Israel will come against us at our greatest attribute, at our greatest gift, at the thing we're the most amazing at, which is we are the most democratic country in the Middle East, the most human rights in the Middle East. The Arabs here have better lives than any Arabs anywhere, anywhere in the world. And they're coming to us and calling us apartheid, just like Korach went to Moses and said, you are so arrogant, where he was the humble of all men. And so we need to know that Israel is in the right, and Israel is going to win. And we have visionaries like Nadia behind us, and with Nadia, and Yehudi. Sam, and Gedalia, and Avi, and Josh, and Yehudit, and Ari, we are going to win. And Jeremy. And this is your chance to jump on board. Because very soon, like when the game is over, it's like, really? You didn't join us as we were on our way. Who wants to make Aliyah when we've already crossed the finish line? So right now, join us on this glorious mission. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Amazing.